0: If you have your Bible this morning, we are going to be in three different places in Scripture, but we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning, the literal first page of Scripture, and we're going to be uh, in verses 26 through 28 in just a moment. We are beginning there this morning because, as you are perhaps or probably aware, there are two things that happen every year on this weekend. The first is this Sunday is always Sanctity of Life Sunday. It is also on Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, Monday, and so we both grieve and celebrate as related to both of those moments and events. We grieve because Sanctity of Life, is this Sunday, is the ominous 48th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision uh, in 1973 through the Roe v. Wade case to legalize abortion in this country. Roe herself, who was the plaintiff in that case, after the trial was over, came to realize very soon after that she had been used by the people uh, in that trial and spent the rest of her life going back and seeking to overturn it, trying to defend life. But we also celebrate this weekend Martin Luther King Jr. and his life uh, and legacy, a man who, as you may or may not recall, was assassinated in 1968, a Christian who helped lead the historic civil rights movement and helped point us towards the reality, helped us remember the reality that all people are made in the image of God. And that is where we are going to go as we look to the scripture this morning. The human lives of all people, of unborn people, of minorities, uh, in particular of African Americans in this country, all matter because of a clear biblical foundation that God lovingly made all people, all people in His image. And that is what will change our world. That is what will change America. The only solution is the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ revealed in it, Every sin finds its solution in Jesus Christ and in his gospel, including these sins of abortion and these sins of racism. And so we look to Jesus and to his word this morning for our answers, amen? And we recognize from the very beginning that all human responses will fail to the degree that they err or wander from the word of God and to the degree that they err or wander from Jesus, the Son of God. So let's begin now in the Old Testament. We're going to look at verses 26 through 28 and then pick up verse 31 that concludes chapter 1 of the Scripture, telling us who God is and, more importantly, this morning, who we are. So verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, listen to how God finishes his instruction, his statement of glory here. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day." Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's take a moment and let's ask again for God's guidance and blessing and power as we learn before him this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the gift that you have made every single human being powerfully, lovingly, particularly in your image. Thank you for that kind of love that would make us. Thank you for the kind of love that would send your son to redeem us and to save us. Lord, humble us as we tackle difficult topics that are made clear by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three applications this morning as we look at our three passages this morning and as we celebrate, celebrate the reality that we all are made in the image of God. Number one is this, all people matter because they are made in God's image. All people matter because they are made in God's image. Right at the very beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit creates all of humanity in their image. When it says, let us make man, that is the Trinity on page one of the Old Testament of the Scripture. There are fundamentally, guys, two kinds of beings, creator and created. And it is a humbling reminder to remember at the very beginning we are told there is one creator and it is God and all of the rest of us, we are created. Everything else is created by him. And so it is humbling as it kind of knocks us down a notch or two to remember, I'm not God. In all things, I am not God and he is. First foundational reality as we're looking here. But secondly, I want us to see a few things here that is just packed into what is an incredibly powerful, short passage of Scripture, but notice here, creation, including humanity, was created by God and not evolved. You see that here. Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2 say God made Adam and Eve right there on the spot, from fully non-existent to fully created, at the moment of God speaking them into existence. Understand the theory of macroevolution is not science and it is not true. Cro Magnon Man, for example, one of a multitude of examples. Cro Magnon Man, one of the half ape, half man examples that we've had in years past, also known as the Nebraska Man, was built off of a tooth that they found in Nebraska, which they later discovered was in fact the pig of a, or the tooth of a pig. They built an entire idea around the idea of an evolving ape turning into a human based on a a tooth that turned out to be the tooth of a modern-day pig. And so it goes. Brothers and sisters, you will find in the scientific community, the intelligent design movement in particularly, to be a refreshing alternative that is science that walks us through scientific arguments that point us to intelligent design. But in addition, far more supremely, we have the Word of God that we look to here this morning. But let me make one specific observation. One of the many consequences of rejecting the the truth of God and embracing macroevolution is the devastation that it does to the truth of the value of human life. It denies and it rejects that people, all people, are made in the image of God. And the inevitable conclusion was stated very clearly by the author of the theory of evolution when he said, survival of the fittest. What is survival of the fittest? That is where atheism ultimately will take you, to what is a glorified form of genocide. Understand that that is where it takes us. Because no longer are people created with value and dignity, importance, according to the word of God, but instead, because you are not the one with power, your life is not important. And that is not what the scripture teaches us. The Bible says that God made all people in his own image. Male and female were created higher than any other part of creation, If we were to read all of Genesis 1, we would see how profoundly the creating of Adam and Eve stands alone because God takes special time in a glory-filled announcement to tell us that only Adam and Eve were made in his own image. Not the light, not the dark, not the plants, not the trees, not the mountains, but Adam and Eve. He creates them in a special and a unique way by forming Adam from dust and breathing life into his nostrils, and then following by miraculously creating Eve by pulling a rib out of Adam and breathing life into her as well. And then they are commanded to have dominion, that is to be Lord, lowercase l, over all of the earth in submission to Lord, capital L, Lord, over all of his creation, In submission to God, we were called to have dominion over the world. We were created male and female, two genders, with equal value, with equal dignity from the moment of their creation. And we were commanded to be fruitful and increase in number, referred to as the cultural mandate, the command to fill God's planet with his glory by filling it with his people. Have children, in other words. And God said all of creation was good. In fact, at the end of each day, he says it was good. But after he makes Adam and Eve, he says it was very good because they are the grand finale of his creation. And so the result is this. God does not permit us as human beings to divide the human race into some that are made in God's image and some who are not. The image of God belongs fully and equally to every race every nationality, to rich, to poor, to male, to female, to old, to young, to those who are disabled, to those who are sick, to those children who are yet unborn, to all those who are near death, they are all made in the image of God. And this fact defines how we treat other people, doesn't it? It tells us everything we need to know. It means that even if you disagree with someone, even if they are your literal enemies, that they are made in the image of God. As I'm sure we are all aware, our nation has completely lost their minds on how to disagree or discuss or debate things. And the solution among other biblical realities is to remember that God created lovingly the person that you don't like and the person that you disagree with. And he sent his son to save that person just like he sent his son to save you. This reality is also why evils like prostitution, sexual abuse, the pornography industry are vile before God and they devalue people made in God's image. Not only do we see those things, but in Genesis 1 we are told that God created us with a beautiful A powerful diversity. See, diversity was one act of creation. Before the fall ever comes into the picture, in a perfect world, God creates diversity. Each day of the week, there is the light and there is the darkness. There is every form of plant, every form of animal the water and the land and every part of it and ultimately Adam and Eve. And in that, there is a beautiful diversity of his creation and the pinnacle of it is Adam and Eve who are the fountainhead of all humanity and within them is every single race of people. A beautiful diversity planned and executed by God lovingly from the beginning. So all humanity made in God's image. But then the fall takes place, doesn't it? And we know from the Scripture that all humanity, every race, every gender, every place that you may be financially, every history, everybody has experienced the devastating effects of the fall, okay? So that means no race, no ethnicity is more sinful than any other, White people are not more sinful than black people. Asian people are not more sinful than Latinos. Scottish people are not more sinful than Italians, says the goofy Scottish white guy who married the beautiful Italian girl. We are all equally sinful and equally savable by the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of sin, image bearers of God, all of us, because of sin, we will abuse And misuse the mandate to have dominion over the earth. And we will specifically misuse that command to dominion against one another. Thus comes murder. Thus comes abortion. Thus comes abuse. Thus comes prostitution. Thus comes oppression. Thus comes racism of every kind. Thus comes injustice and false superiority because of our sin. But thank God the story doesn't end there, right? Jesus has come. And when Jesus came and when he comes into our lives, he renews the image of God that he has placed in us. All sinful human beings, and we are all sinful, still have the image of God in us. But after the fall, it was damaged. We were made perfectly. Sin damages it. And part of what Jesus done when he does when he comes to earth is he redeems us, he restores us. You know, Even our sin itself is a reflection of the image of God because what we do in sin ultimately is recognize that there is a God because we try to usurp his authority and place ourselves on the throne of God. Even in sin, we still reveal that he is God and that we are made in his image. But when we call upon Jesus... He will forgive us of our sins by his death on the cross, and he remakes us more and more from the moment of salvation more and more into the image of Christ, who is himself God. And we look forward to that moment in heaven when the image of God will be fully restored, where sin will be no more, and all of the effects of sin will be no more, and our hope is in Jesus and in him alone. And our mission while we are still on earth, specifically here at New City Church and every church that names Jesus as Savior, for us it is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is, there is always room for one more on the boat. That the hope of Jesus is for all people and we are called to invite people into a saving relationship with Jesus. One that once we are saved, we continue to grow become followers more and more of Jesus, submit our lives to Him, and in so doing that the image of Christ is restored in us day by day by His grace. Amen? Number two, all unborn children are people made in God's image. And we move now to the book of Psalms, Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. It's one of many powerful passages that help walk us through this reality from Scripture. Verse 13, "'For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made.'" In the womb from the moment of conception, from the beginning. God intricately wove all our inward parts while we were still in the womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You notice the scripture here is spoken from a voice, and it's the voice of a person who is reflecting on when they were yet an unborn child. And what they are saying of themselves is, in the womb, I was and I am still now a human being, lovingly made in the image of God and given all dignity, given all value. Understand, believer, that the abortion's chief deception is that the person inside of mommy isn't a person. We know from the Bible that that is not true. We do not need science to corroborate that point, but to be absolutely clear, science does corroborate that point. The baby from the moment of conception is a separate person. The phrase, my body, my choice, is a lie because the child is not ever in any way someone else's body or someone else's choice. We know that from conception to delivery of a bouncing baby boy or girl is On average, about 40 weeks. Do you know that at eight weeks, eight weeks after conception, that the heart, the brain, the nervous system, all major organs are fully functioning? That he or she feels pain, recoils in the womb at the possibility of pain, smiles, and sucks his or her thumb? From conception, the baby has its own DNA system and has its own blood type. At 21 weeks, most babies can survive outside of the womb with a little bit of help, which is amazing. The vast majority of abortions done in our country and around the world are after 21 weeks, and the majority are out of convenience and not out of any crisis of any kind. Scripture says, God knew you before, before the moment of conception. Did you catch that? It says, I knew you when you were in the womb. It also says, I knew you before that moment. And that's important because it says, your days were written in his book before they came to be. Only God has the authority to determine when your life begins and when it ends. No human has ever had the authority to end the life of another human being. And it is not simply a tragedy, as I hear many Christians use that word to describe abortion. It is not simply a tragedy. Yes, it is a tragedy. It is murder. Do not be unclear. It is the epitome of abusing power and dominion to take the life of a baby person. And since 1973, in the United States alone, we have killed 61 million people. Babies children. But we have to do more than just speak the truth and bring justice to the situation. We absolutely must. But we cannot just bring justice. We have to bring mercy too. We have to bring mercy to this specific situation. I want to tell you about Pregnancy Resources which is a ministry here in Brevard County that our church and many other churches, many other people love and support. Our church joyfully supports this ministry in every way, including financially, that we can because they, and we also, understand that parents can feel helpless under the circumstances of an unplanned pregnancy. And the majority of people who have an abortion, it is because they thought they did not have any other choice. With no judgment, they will listen to your story, they will listen to your circumstances, and they will share with you that you have two beautiful options aside from abortion, parenting or adoption. Powerful, profound, biblical, amazing options. Pregnancy Resources helps in every possible way that they can. They do free ultrasounds. They do child birthing and parenting classes. They do STD testing. They also do post-abortion counseling to talk through, to walk through with men and women who have experienced the trauma and the brokenheartedness of Abortion. There are women who have come back 10 to 15 years after an abortion to get counseling and have found hope and life and strength and encouragement and love. One of my favorite moments every six months in my life is when I get to go and help teach one of the little parenting classes at Pregnancy Resources, and I get to look at mommies and daddies, some who baby is in mommy's belly and some who baby is in mommy's arms, and talk to them about the joy of being a parent and how to do it and how much I mess up at it every day, but by God's grace, he is loving his children, and I get to be a part of doing that with him. Pregnancy Resources was started here in Brevard County in 1984. And since that time, 8,000 children who are now adults in many cases are walking on this planet living life. We praise God for that ministry that is not only saving lives, but is healing the lives of men and women who have been part of an abortion because they understand, and so do we, that when we sin, that when we make mistakes, that when we have regrets, when we have shame, that Jesus saves, that God forgives, and hear me, so do we. On average, 30% of a congregation has been a part of, in some form or another, of an abortion. There are people that are a part of our church, they may or may not be sitting here this morning, that that is a part of your story. We love you because God loves you. We forgive you because God forgives you. This is how much he loves you and how much he forgives you. He sent his only child to die to forgive you and to forgive me. And I stand before you just as guilty as a sinner as anyone else, any other story. There is forgiveness. There is grace. And we absolutely cannot miss that there is not only justice at stake, but mercy at stake in this Sin. Amen. Third and finally, we move to our, our final scripture. Third point all races of people are made, are, sorry, all races of people are people, are people made in God's image. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 to help us walk through this reality. We're going to start in verse 11 and read all the way through verse 20. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Between humanity and God, one of the most dangerous things we can do is forget what God has done for us. And so Paul here in this passage begins by saying, remember, remember where you came from, remember where we came from, and remember what Jesus has done for us, what he has done for you. There's also a division of people that is taking place here. There were those who were God's covenant people, Israel, and those who were not, the Gentiles. And for the record, the majority of us in the room and the majority of us in this country, we are all Gentiles. There are moments in the Old Testament when Gentile people did trust and believe in the God of the Bible. But it was rare. And the vast majority of Gentiles were pagans, living sinful lives completely and utterly apart from God, and we all are in that category. All of us, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, were living as pagans. Even if you say, well, I grew up as a Christian and I don't remember a time I didn't know Jesus, we're still sinners desperately in need of His grace until He gives it to us. Remember, Jesus' blood was poured out for us. His death on the cross broke down the dividing wall between us, a sinful, rebellious people, and a holy, righteous God. There is a separation, and it is our fault. The language here is that we as humanity, all humanity, we are at war with God, a war that we started because of our sin, and it is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we have peace. Right, we don't think of our sin as that bad. That's what Ephesians is telling us is that all people, there was a dividing wall between us and God and Jesus reconciles us to the Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God says 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That is in the greatest exchange of all time By faith, I can receive the gift of my sin. My guilt goes on Jesus and his perfect righteous life comes on me and all I have to do is ask and the dividing wall of hostility will be removed eternally. What does that have to do with being made in the image of God? What does that have to do with racism that leads to us separating out one people from another? Well, we know. We see it. In various moments in history, in various types of people, groups of people and situations that there is a dividing wall between people. There is a dividing wall between people in our world specifically. The vile slave trade system was legal in the United States for 250 years. It rejected the image of God that was inherent in black men women, and children, and it was disgusting. They were dehumanized, they were abused, and oftentimes murdered as well. After the Civil War, systems like the Jim Crow laws continued to perpetuate these same sins of dehumanizing and failing to recognize and rejoice in the image of God in all People, and in particular, wielded that vile sword against minorities in this country. And it took believers, men like Martin Luther King Jr., to help us remember that all people are made in the image of God. And that reconciliation of all people coming together only happens through Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ Is the solution. It is only by the cross of Jesus that the dividing wall of hostility towards one another can end. And this passage has both in mind. It is only by embracing God's image in every race of people that racism will end. It is only by repenting of where we have abused and misused the dominion that God commanded that we can fully honor and dignify fellow human beings. And it is only by believing and living the gospel that we can no longer be separated, but become, as the Bible says here, one new man. And our commonality is Jesus. Our commonality is his love, his grace, his forgiveness, and his endowment of all people being made in his image. So there are Jews and there are Gentiles, there are whites and blacks and Asians and Latinos, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation that through the cross have been reconciled to God and have been reconciled to one another and given the way, the way to show the entire world what love and grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, and putting the other person first can look like. Jesus has led the way. At the end of the Bible, right, we started Genesis 1, look at what Revelation describes as the finality of the image of humanity because of Jesus. Revelation chapter 7, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that is, Jesus clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice shouting, salvation belongs to our God, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So where do we go from here as we consider this third and final point? I want to offer us just a couple of practicals as the church of Jesus There are minority brothers and sisters in Christ who still report experiencing racism. And we need to listen to their stories. I am, we are very good at talking, and in general, our culture is very good at not listening. Let me encourage all of us to take the time to sit down with somebody of a different race than you and of a different experience than you and just listen, just listen. Approach it with grace and humility, with our eyes focused on Jesus, and just listen. Have some of those conversations. Show the world what it looks like to have a kind conversation, and even disagree with Jesus being at the center. Let me encourage us also to read and study what is centered on the Word of God. The Scripture is our authority, not anything else what the news media tells me, not even what the government tells me. The Word of God is my final authority. Believe that the gospel is sufficient. If Jesus Christ can solve my separation from God Almighty, He can solve the separation between me and another person. He's done it already. In thinking about our church, We want our church, by God's grace, to do a lot of things, but one of the things that we want to do is to reflect the races, ethnicities, people, ages of this community. So if you draw a circle, a 10-mile circle around this pulpit, there are 164,000 people in a 10-mile radius. 68% of them are white. 14% of them are Hispanic. 13% of them are African American, and another 5% are a variety of other equally important ethnicities. And we want our church to look like that. It's not easy. But that is the goal. Three out of four of the people in that same 10-mile circle have no relationship to any church whatsoever, and I will assume many of them, if not the majority, don't know Jesus as Savior. Every age... Every race, every ethnicity, and we want all 164,000 of them to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That is our mission here on earth. Jesus has done everything already. We look to Him as the Savior and the reconciler of the world. We look to our Heavenly Father who has made all people in His image. And we have hope. And we want to be used by Him. Amen? Let's take a moment, let's pray together.